Please note, for maximum picture quality, it may be necessary to adjust the tracking control on your VCR. Back in the 90s, I was a pop idol. And when I was on stage, people adored me, which led to the stalkers. People died. I, I soon started spiralling into mental health crisis and lines of reality blurred and the only thing that gave me any comfort was my favourite podcast, Adjust Your Tracking. I am <laughs> Liam Delaney, one host. And I am Oliver Jones, the other host. And welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing, Ollie? I'm good. I've had a, a silly day today. Oh, why's that? To be honest, like any anything that happens of mild interest at the moment is, um, is a bonus, but... Uh, my razor broke while I was shaving today, so I had to spend half the day with half a moustache <laughs> and half a beard, and, and it was all patchy all over the place. I went to have lunch with Caroline, and she didn't realise for a good half an hour Oh dear! anything was wrong with my face. She just kept looking at me again. What's, what's, what's wrong with your face? Does she not really look at you? Is that what we're learning? <laughs> probably. Probably. <laughs> so yeah, that's my story of the day. Woo. How did the razor break? We didn't break, just a bat, because it's like a chargeable oh, I see. beard trimmer. <laughs> it just died. I see. I thought you meant like the blade broke. Like and all the viewers have turned off. <laughs> <laughs> no. The viewers. <laughs> Listeners. Do you remember Mate's podcast with um, Michael Ian Black and, uh, oh, the guy from Ed? What's his name again? Tom Well, they're both in Ed. The, the food one? Yeah. What was the that called? It's called um, Mike and Tom Eat Snacks. That was Mates. it, yeah. Yeah, they used to they used to refer to their listeners as viewers, and they used to always be like, <laughs> "Well, the viewers out there, of course, they're not viewers; they're listeners." And it was all I think it was something like that. Anyway, the mate the mateys were getting at me for not misremembering the the memes from a podcast <laughs> from years ago. Wasn't Ed? Isn't he in like the Flash now or something? Yeah, he has been really good in the Flash. Actually, yeah. I've never watched any of those shows. I watched maybe the first three seasons of The Flash. Um, it the, the, my problem with The Flash is actually there's just too much of it. Uh, the it's like old school TV when there's like twenty five episodes a season. Oh, you don't need to do that. Why? No. Why? And there's no way I'm catching up and I'm I'm getting to watch all that. It's just not happening. Eight to ten is the is the is the ideal number I think for a. I absolutely a agree. I I I even think the Netflix Marvel ones are too long. I get fed up with them. I get to about episode 12 and I'm done and there's still kind of sometimes four or five episodes left or something and I'm just I'd um, say the I, same about Stranger Things but they're only like seven episodes and I get well bored <laughs> I still watch it though I don't know why I made it one episode into season two of Stranger Things and I was like no no I'm, I'm not done. interested it, so maybe uh, what have you been up to um god I don't know same old same old I was thinking of saying though talking to the Flash Oh, go on then. Like, um, I was thinking how like the majority of stuff that I like in superheroes doesn't actually exist outside of comics. They haven't actually ever moved the characters and the people I really like into kind of films and stuff like that. Which is kind okay. of weird now that the world's obsessed with superheroes. I still feel a bit kind of marginalised in the fact that I love all this stuff that doesn't actually exist to a wider audience yet. Like Doom Patrol is the one for me and I actually really like the TV show so that's good but the Doom Patrol was always a huge huge like, characters for me and I'm glad they got that out but even like Booster Gold um, Kyle Rainier the Green Lantern the way I see Superman you know All-Star Superman and um, like yeah. and Starman as well um, and Starman's like 
just such a, a fantastic comic that only exists as a comic, you know. And um, well, the, prob- Animal Man the problem well. I think the problem with with Warner Brothers. I mean, I might be incorrect, but they haven't got like a Kev- Kevin Feige that will kind of like spearhead all the films and say, "All right, I want this made, this made, this made, this made." They have Wasn't to like Jeff Johns meant to be that though. Not really. I don't think so. He was. He didn't have that kind of power. I think he okay. just oversaw a lot of things. But it, I think it comes down to filmmakers going, "I'd like to make that film." And I think it just boils down to every filmmaker wants to make Batman, and that's it, really. It seems <laughs> and, to be yeah. that way, doesn't it? Because they can't even get a Flash movie out. <laughs> yeah, it seems ridiculous. You'd think that would be one that would have already been out by now. At least, like you know, all the Justice League members should have had a a solo movie by now. And Martian Manhunter should exist as a Justice League character. It's... Oh, 100%. 100%. I think, if I remember, because I, I, for some reason, I hate myself when I listen to that Zack Snyder commentary track. <laughs> I think one of those characters in that film, I think he's like the general in Man of Steel and he's in uh, Batman v Superman. I think he's supposed to be uh, Martian Manhunter in the, that universe and would have... Okay, fair enough. But, I mean, it doesn't but, count unless you put it in. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it, it just seems weird. I was just thinking about today how like comics are so huge and the stuff I love is still doesn't exist. You know, like it's still not been spearheaded. And I, I mean, I've always been a DC person, so most of the stuff I talk about is going to be DC stuff. But the DC stuff that exists doesn't, like, doesn't. I don't know. It doesn't show the stuff I love about DC really. I guess the the argument is always that DC superheroes are so stoic and godlike yeah. that it's hard to tr- put them onto film. But I, I don't know. I mean, Wonder Woman was all right. I liked Wonder Woman. I think the new Wonder Woman trailer looked amazing, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. she looks I'm great really in a gold armor. Yeah, yeah, totally. Is that the, that's like the Kingdom Come armor, isn't it? Oh, I guess it is actually. I didn't think of that, but yeah, yeah, I guess it is. And of course, you got Max Lord as the villain in that, which I am so hyped for. I, I I love Max Lord and I think he could be really good on film. So, and who's playing that? Isn't it Pedro Pascal? Yeah, the, it's the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I'm really hyped to see his portrayal of it. Saying that, actually, um, this actually uh, to go to backtrack on that a little bit, the Shazam movie, Captain Marvel, Shazam movie, um, the fact that Mr. Mind was in that was amazing. <laughs> that was me. great. It worked you know, for actually- me so much. I was so happy and so excited. That might be my favourite of those DC films, I think. Fair I enough. just think it was just so joyful and I just mm. really... It Zachary was. Levi, I would have never have thought of him as a superhero, no. but it just worked. It really did, yeah, it really did just work. Just just work for me. The Superman cameo was a bit weird at the end. Yeah. Like, if it was Henry Cavill, Cavill's face, then yeah, it would have worked. But also, you don't see him earlier on in the film if super, if he'd had an interaction with superman yes which i have a feeling that may have been originally on the cards yeah there was because he could have been he could have been that kind of guide that he needed to kind of put him on the right path yeah. of being a hero i would have liked that because i think dc universe needs that it's like i said quickly earlier like my superman hasn't ever been on screen like the 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 way they portray Superman is not Superman. I don't know which character they're choosing. And putting him in Shazam like that would have actually been a way of putting real Superman back into the pictures. This, yeah, yeah, yeah. This kind of icon of Superman, not this kind of weird brooding energy that they seem to want to kind of 
have from him, which is just boring, really. I think Henry Cavill's got it in him to do that, though. Me and too. I, think, I just wish they gave him that opportunity. but Yeah, just just give him a Grant Morrison script and please go with it. Did I ever tell you I bumped into him once at the Empire Awards? Henry Cavill? Yeah. Wow, Me and no. Rob were in a phone booth. Not a phone booth, like a photo phone booth. booth. <laughs> <Phone> booth. <laughs> Not Bill Photo booth. And we walked out of it, and I kind of backed out of it with my back out. And as okay. I turned around, I smashed straight into the chest of Henry Cavill. <laughs> Was it literally his chest as well? <laughs> yeah. And then um, I, instead of saying, oh, sorry, Henry or Mr. Cavill, I went, sorry, Superman. And uh, the look on his face was like, you're a fucking moron. I would have been the same. I know. Would have been exactly the same. And I just hung my head in shame as soon as I did that. It would have felt like meeting Superman, especially bumping into his chest. Yeah. It was like, it just literally was like, he's got such a massive chest as well. And I whacked into it. It was like a flipping <laughs> wall. And I was like, whoa. Oh, that's so good. But I'm not. Oh. I'm not good when I meet celebrities. I'm not at all. Like I, I completely like. I don't say I fan fanboy over them, but I, I kind of find it hard to relate or know what to say. They're just human beings at the end of the day. But um, it's sometimes yeah, quite hard to know how to react to them. Like, you, you tend to meet them in circumstances where you aren't exactly there as a fan. Yeah. So yeah. So you can't. Yeah. You are struggling to kind of relate to them the way you know them as kind of like you know just icons of, of fan culture and also trying to relate to them as kind of not like equals really because you're in the same business Obviously, yeah i guess so it's well, not equals because you know they're incredible really different worlds <laughs> yeah. i guess but but still there's that still kind of same wavelength yeah, yeah. If I'm making sense. I'm not trying to downplay you. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. I mean, I won my award for a stupid Ghostbusters remake made out of cardboard and string. So, you know. But <laughs> but it was funny, though, like, staying at that party all night and the, the last person on the dance floor was Henry Cavill and he was completely fucking mullered. <laughs> Watching Superman drunkenly dance is something I'll never, ever get out of my head. Oh, I want to hang out with Henry Cavill. Like, I wish I had the bollocks just to get my camera phone out and be like, yeah. yeah. But you can, like you just get called out for it straight away. So uh, have you been watching anything this week? Oh, what did I watch this week? Um, I watched Babe, frankly. I think that's <laughs> what I can't. It's fantastic, it isn't it? It's amazing. It's 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 perfect. It's frankly a perfect film. I mean, what's wrong with that film? <laughs> In any way? Nothing, nothing. Nothing is wrong with that film. No, it broke me. I was. Uh, it, it absolutely broke me. Actually, I loved it. It's a great film because like. You know, a film about a pig wanting to be something else speaks so much more broadly than what it actually is. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, about you know, totally. like it's you can be anything you want to be. You know, you've got yeah, the yeah. Uh, the duck in it who wants to be a rooster. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just it's just it's, a charming little film. And um, I just I was blown away by um James Cromwell. I just thought his performance was it. It makes the film wouldn't work if he wasn't so committed to the role. Even though he's got very minimal lines, like he de- he kind of delivers all of them with a kind of, you know, a cut sincerity, and, sincerity, yeah. yeah. And it um, I I absolutely worked for me. I I just remembered Babe as this funny little film from when I was a child, and then watching it again, I was like, oh my, this 
oh, this really works. This, this is a great film. Tell you what, it's better than Braveheart. Should have won the fucking Oscar. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> um, wasn't that a shot in Australia for a minute? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, yeah. it's so George Miller. Babe's a book, isn't it? Was it a book? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sheep Pig. I did read that's it when sick. I was young. But um, I- I've never seen the sequel. Apparently that's batshit crazy. But, uh, I've heard it's crazy. I'm going to watch it next because um, I'm watching along with Blank Check Podcast, obviously, and they're doing George Miller. So the next uh, one is, uh, picking surprisingly, his his filmography is not that. It's tiny. It's not as big as you'd think. Mm. I'm not um, a bit heresy. I'm not a massive fan. Um, there's nothing against like Fury Road is one of the best films ever made. There's oh yeah, yeah no question. No question, absolutely no question. And his career built up to making this just f- f- kick-ass fucking crazy film. But um, stuff for the lead. And how old was it, he? Like seventy-five when he made that film. I don't know. <laughs> he was definitely in his seventies. Many films, does he? And it, he said it was a fever dream that he had on a fight from Australia or something, and he just decided to go back to Mad Max. And it looked, it just looks amazing. And it's bases, like all of the Mad Max films are basically the same film made again and again and again. Until like he perfected it, really. Yeah. And I mean, was was this one meant to have Mad Mel in it, or? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think he ever. No. I, I can't. I can imagine George Miller just didn't deci- just decided not to go there. You know, it doesn't need him. It barely needs Max because the the um, everyone else in the film takes over. Really. I always get the impression that Mad Max isn't like, like you say, he it it kind of starts again. Every film is like yeah. a new. It's like Evil Dead it's re- 1 and 2. It's just, you know, they just kept yeah. on making the same film until he got it. Um, what did I watch? Oh, I, I watched the Beastie Boys story. Have you seen oh, that? I was going to ask you about that, yeah. What did you think? It's interesting. I mean, well, first of all, I read the book, which came out about a year and a half ago. And that book, if you've seen it, could kill someone if you threw it at, it, at them. It's that big. <laughs> and it's like, it's it's so scatterbrained. It's brilliant. I mean, okay. it started... It starts off at like you know how they formed and all that, but it, every other chapter in dispersed. It was um, uh, Mike Diamond and uh, okay. Adra. Okay, okay. But in it's got chapters interspersed throughout of it that are written by celebrities or people who they grew up with in like the in New York with them and stuff like that in the seventies and the eighties, and they'll talk about the cultures that kind of were going on at the time. And there's mm. one chapter about mixtapes and how to look after your tapes if they get broken, which <laughs> all things that we had to do, you know, trading tapes with friends and stuff like that. And yeah. the art of making I used a mixtape. My school rucksack used to be full of cassettes. Yeah, so I always remember exactly. That. And then there's like another chapter which is just about how to make the perfect New York bagel and stuff like that, which I'm going to actually try and <laughs> attempt to make one day. But yeah. um, so the, the documentary is is essentially um, a condensed version of that book, and so there's a lot of the minutia that's lost and stuff like that. Which, uh, but it but it's definitely like a massive love letter to um, MCA, you know, who obviously yeah. passed away yeah. about six, seven, eight years ago now. God, was that um, long ago? But the presentation's really weird because it's like a PowerPoint presentation. And I mean, if there's anybody I'm going to watch do a PowerPoint presentation, it's going to be the Beastie Boys. But you can, it's obviously scripted because at several points in the documentary, you see the um, the cue cards, like the video teleprompter, and they're reading from it because okay. they toured it, you see. So they did a few oh. shows in London and stuff like that. And I really wanted to go, but. Why didn't I, I, can't I know remember this? why. 
Yeah. And um and uh Spike Jones was kind of in charge of like the projections and stuff like that in the background and stuff like that. So he was kind of directing nice. it from behind the scenes. Yeah. Um but I don't know if I'm quite sold on the format of it. But at some points I did like it, some points I didn't like it. Um, but it's still really interesting to hear all the stories about, you know, how they produce certain albums, you know, how they met and things like that. And, like, the yeah. one thing that really struck me was, like, it showed pictures of them, like, from back in, like, 82, you know, or 81, way sure. before we were even born. Yeah. And they look so cool on stage as 16-year-olds and, like, what really? they're wearing and stuff like that. And you think, well, if I was to wear that now, I wouldn't stand out and I'd look cool still. And then uh, yeah, I look yeah. back at pictures of when I was 16 in bands and I look like a complete idiot <laughs> with my big, huge <laughs> jeans and massive trainers on and stuff like that. And I'm like... But I just think there's something about New York in, like, the late 70s, 80s yeah. that was just... Even though it was dirty and grimy, it was cool mm. because... It was cool. All this culture yeah. came from it, do you know what I mean? Hip-hop, punk, and all this kind of stuff. These areas I mean, I know that punk always, came. these interesting melting pots always tend to kind of produce stuff like that. And New York is one of the best, isn't it, really? Yeah, because, I mean, you know, they started off as punks, but they kind of started to get into jazz and hip-hop and stuff like that. And yeah. then they just they put it all together in this blender and just became this kind of crazy fusion yeah. band. And like the, when they actually came out and became popular, they kind of... They were taking the piss out of like frat culture and stuff like yeah, that. You know, they were, fight yeah, they were. Fight for your right to party. But then they said they slowly started to become those people and they started to hate themselves. So that's why when they did Paul's Boutique and uh, Check Your Head, they kind of reinvented themselves again because they wanted to be more pure. And yeah. And so, like, from I'm going to just go into Beastie Boy stuff now. But like, that's when fine, they did I Check Your Head, it. instead of like taking samples from other albums and stuff like that, they kind of created their own samples by actually playing their instruments again and learning how to play again properly. Oh wow! And um, so, like, from then on, all the samples they used and stuff was them playing their own instruments and stuff like that. And like, Sabotage just was written in the space of like, uh, uh you know, an hour of them just jamming. Just no and, way. You know that that kind of changed their career again and. Sabotage ever... is one of those songs, if it comes on randomly when I'm listening to music, I'm, I'm always, it's always kind of sounds like I'm hearing it for the first time. It's always a yeah, little it's... bit kind of, wow, this exists, this, it has such energy it's... to it. It's just pure anarchy for me, that mm. song, just, it's just, that riff is wicked. Um, did amazing, you ever see yeah. the short film that um, uh, Adam Yauch directed, like, just before he died, and it's kind of like, it's almost like he they purposely designed this. So their big break was Fight for Your Right to Party. And then yeah. he made this film, which was called Fight for Your Right Revisited. And it had uh, Seth oh, Rogen, Elijah Wood, and uh, who's the guy from Eastbound and Down? Danny McBride. Danny McBride. And they play the Beastie Boys. And it's about them leaving the party in the apartment that they're kind of like trashing. Oh, no, I have seen this. I have. And it's almost like he ended his career... By finishing off something at the beginning, it had—I don't know—it just had this kind of nice little arc to it. And, nice bookmark. But I think. yeah, it's a really great little short film. If you haven't seen it, it's, it's on the internet anyway, so you can yeah, check I'm it sure out. Yeah, I've seen it on YouTube. Sure, I have. I'll check it out again. Actually, oh, I need to watch that. Actually, I need to watch that documentary. I'll, I'll try and find it. I'll um, I'll send you it somehow by somehow. magic. <laughs> <laughs> I carry a pigeon, obviously. <laughs> carry a pigeon. Um, <laughs> I heard, a little birdie told me you rewatched Rise of Skywalker, oh, and that little birdie was you. That, I did tell you that. I 
You know, I hated it more this time. And yeah, I, I hated think... it more the second time. I d- it's so it's so hard to get through. It's so <laughs> boring. I got so tight. You know the bit where she like there's that giant snake in the ground. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. kind of force heals. I kind of found it so hard to stay awake. And I kept nodding <laughs> off during that scene. And I kept waking up during that scene. And I was like, how long is this scene? Like, I don't know why. It's just... It's, um, it's going to be one of those... We talk about this now and again. We should have even made a podcast about it. It's one of these films where it seems so obvious the stuff they didn't do. And you almost can't stop going over it in your head about like why did they make that choice and once they made that choice and went down that path like you can see all the problems that led to that as well the prequels yeah. were like this and that's why people would talk people would talk about the prequels forever but like as soon as they decided Palpatine was in it and as soon as they decided they weren't going to just let Leia, Leia die off screen it just meant that that plot was, was doomed and yeah. they had nothing else to do with it and they were just hampered by those decisions throughout the whole thing and it just i mean i think then you're in a different boat because we actually like the last jedi i think people who don't like the last jedi are incorrect humans <laughs> agreed <laughs> but i think it it gave a real interesting springboard for what rise of skywalker could have been or whatever the, the title would have been yeah, of that film it sets everything and up. i just think they did they didn't take the baton from that film no it doesn't. it's kind of like they took it and then just fell over straight away yeah yeah, yeah. They, they absolutely do or not take ran the other way. They ran back to the start. <laughs> Whereas Last Jedi takes the baton from every single point of the of um, um, Force Awakens. Yeah, like it it doesn't change anything from what they're doing. It takes the baton and runs with it, and it feels like an actual sequel. Whereas this doesn't feel like a sequel at all. It just felt like a weird standalone film that doesn't connect to anything. With the they, even the characters didn't feel like the characters you've been watching for two films. The one thing that baffled me was how people complained that Luke Skywalker became this kind of hermit and blah de blah de blah. And I was well, like, well, J.J. Abrams Force set Awakens, it up. Yeah. Like, where yeah. else is he? Why else is he on an island on his own? You've got to come up with a reason why he's yeah. on his own. <laughs> they can't take that back, and that's what I love about Force Awakens is the fact that Force Awakens is a film about teaching Luke Skywalker that Star Wars is really important again. And like, yeah. and I don't think people got that. And that really works for me as like an audience member because I'm not a massive Star Wars person, but it, I I felt the kind of magic again while watching yeah. it. And I, and by the end of that film where he's you know he does that force projection, it, I just think it's one of the most magical things in Star Wars. I think it's absolutely wonderful. Well, I think people just latched onto the bit where he goes, you know, it's time for the Jedi to end. And then they just stopped listening to the rest of the film. And they're like, nope, that's not Luke Skywalker. I'm like, well, watch no. it. And you kind of realise that he kind of... By the end of it, he's basically a fan going, yep, Star Wars is really cool. I really like it. Yeah, yeah. I'm all in. Like, and I, I just think people wanted to see a 60-year-old Mark Hamill backflipping around the place with his lightsaber. No, I'm like, no one wants to see that. And that, I think the way they did it was perfect. But I think it's perfect. The scene, like, it's beautiful. The scene that he's, like, how angry Kylo Ren is of him and how scared Kylo Ren is of him just works for me so well. This little scene with Leia is beautiful and I'm really glad they actually managed to shoot it. And yeah. and then um, him, the last scene of him just, like, seeing kind of two two sons, you know, it's not really, you know, and, and passing away is a perfect kind of thing for for Luke's kind of physical end. 
and then he comes shame, back though. in the shitty sequel with the worst well, it's scene it's a shame because his last line in The Last Jedi is see you around kid and yeah. you think oh great he's going to haunt him now and he's going to kind of yeah. like be on his shoulder the whole time not once and you think that's such a wasted opportunity it is and for some reason, Mark Hamill's head looked a massive. <laughs> Don't you think his beard, his fake hair, and his fake beard look ridiculous? In he's terrible. And I felt he, I felt bad for him. I, I do as well. His, he, it's not he, his fault, though. I don't think. No, I won't blame him. I just he's, he's just he bad was, in it. He, and he, he shot. Is, he was on green screen. I bet you he wasn't acting with a Daisy Ridley. No, no. And I bet they weren't on the just, island. I bet like yeah, the wig looked terrible. Think, like, Regardless of whether you think he's right or wrong with how he th- you think Luke Skywalker should go, he's a massive fan of Star Wars in general himself anyway, and of his mm-hmm. own character. And I think he probably just felt... I, I don't think he agreed with The Last Jedi, but if you watch the making of it, you see him come around and kind of appreciate yeah. the story that Absolutely. was created for him. You know, yeah. And he probably just read the script of Rise of Skywalker and was like, well... I've got like three lines. Yeah, I've got three <laughs> lines when I I do something nonsensical and and say something nonsensical. It's yeah. stupid. It's stu- it has no connection to Luke. It's it, he's done. Oh, I can't even. I can't get into it. I get. So one of my biggest thing. gripe with that film as well. You know when she has that big, um, she goes to she goes to that island uh, just to kind of, it's like nope, I'm not being a Jedi anymore, and then okay. becomes a Jedi like about five seconds afterwards. Like, if you watch Return of the Jedi, there's not one moment in that that Luke's like, nah, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Like, in Return, the third film is like, right, I'm on a mission now and I'm going to see this through to the end. I'm a, in a screenwriting terms, I'm a real, um, I'm really not a fan of the fake reject, what do they call it? The, the Like, reject the call. But yeah, I'm yeah. really not a fan of the fake reject the call. Like, either it's, a real screenwriting moment that needs to be in it or don't do it because yeah. if I'm three quarters into a film and you're pretending that she's not going to save the day fuck off I know she's going to save the day what's this yeah. point what's the point of this it's not going to be you're not going to learn anything from the five minute scene you're going to have when she changes her mind again and I think that, that is one of those classic moments really yeah mm. it's just shame massive wasted opportunity and huge waste of Kylo Ren as well that's why I hate it. Yeah, he's agreed. Uh, like he has no lines at the end of that yeah, film. About, like for the last, he has no lines at the start of that film. He has true, like four true. Four lines in that film, and what way? He's such a good actor as well. I know. Oh, he's a, Adam Driver is just of our the generational, the generational talent. I think like, and yeah, he's just wasted. I mean, and I love seeing him play the kind of Han Solo ness of up it of it all because he can do that. He's Adam Driver, but yeah, he's. He's wasted. He could have been like he could have just had such force and such power in that film if they just let him be the kind of the the enemy, you know, the villain that he was his yeah. arc was building towards. Even if you have redemption, just let him be the actual villain and not he just gets put into like this status hold at the start of the film where he's kind of a puppet again to a, another wrinkly man. It's just pointless. Yeah. Oh well. I'll tell you what else I watched. I watched all four Jaws films. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, there's nothing you can say about Jaws, one that's never been said before. It's it's perfect. Do you know what I mean? I don't yeah. think... You, you you just can't get better than it. No. Jaws 2 is incredibly Which, and boring. Actually, just saying about Jaws 1, it's quite funny that it always comes up in 
in political debates and stuff like that the jaws mayor is one of those kind of political villains <laughs> oh, um, yeah. but he's been evoked a lot at the moment with the covid stuff about because oh, if he, yeah. the jaws mayor refuses to shut the beaches even though people are dying of shark attacks and he refused to shut the beach because he's going to harm the economy of the beach which is uh, a little bit of analogous to kind of what's going on at the moment <laughs> But, um, but he does wear a dapper suit, though. That that, that uh, anchor suit one of the best. is amazing. If we had to do a list of best best suits in films, I think that anchor suit might be number one. That's in there. Definitely in the top ten is also the Dumb and Dumber suits. Yeah, 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 yeah. Come back in a few weeks. We'll do our top ten uh, <laughs> top suits, 10 in, suits films. in films. Surely something uh, something from Fifth Element must be in it. Sure. Yeah, it must be. Um. Yeah, Jaws 2 is very boring. Like, it's, nothing happens really in that it's film. So, yeah, it is. It's dull. And um, I'm, I'm going to admit, like, halfway through Jaws 3, my attention started to really wane, because Jaws 3 is <laughs> not very good either. <laughs> the um, I love watching Jaws 3 for the comping of the 3D elements, and they're like, they kind of, like, float in the middle of the screen with yeah. huge lines around them. I tell you what, I think Jurassic world is basically a remake of jaws 3 <laughs> it just feels like jaws because it's like a, okay it's a, yeah because it's about sea world isn't it and they yeah, reopen yeah. and then dennis quaid plays the son of chief brody yeah and the last time we saw him is about 10 years old and now he's a 30 year old man in this film dennis quaid does not remember filming jaws 3 apparently he was on coke the whole time but yeah jaws <laughs> 4 is is it's not a good film, but no. it's definitely more entertaining. At least it tries yeah. to do something a bit different. I kind of love Jaws 4. I've got a really big soft spot for Jaws 4. That's the one famously that um, Michael Caine said that it, um, it was his... Did he say it was his beach house film or something? Well, he said, he, I've never seen the film, but I've seen the glorious mansion it built in Hawaii <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. I always remember because it's got the banana boat scene. And I always remember the banana boat scene for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, like, uh, that's my review of the Jaws films. What a weird... <laughs> it's so weird that Jaws is a franchise. I think I we should talk about that more often as a like a warning to Hollywood. Like, for some reason you decided that Jaws is a franchise. I'm surprised it hasn't come back. But to be fair, there's so many, like, shark-inspired movies these days. I mean, you've got... Well, that's what they North... stopped. They stopped making Jaws films. They just started making kind of see horror films which are basically just new jaws films well you've got the piranha movies the alligator films and you've got like lake placid and deep blue yeah. sea meg and deep then you've got all sea. the cheap ones like shark attack one to a hundred and yeah sharknado all and the sharknado multi-headed and then the shark there's there's one where the shark's got like three heads yeah yeah octopus shark and i watched that crawl the um oh i saw film. that with the alligator the alligator film yeah it is it's so boring. It's <laughs> so ridiculous. Annoying. Spoilers. That dad character, is he the guy from Dexter? Isn't he like one of the cops from Dexter? But anyway, oh, um, he I'm gets his him. arm ripped off in one scene, like yeah. bitten off. And he's like, oh, and it's he's... just a flesh wound. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite bit is when she traps the alligator in the shower. By, by, by that point, oh. I was just, I was laughing so hard. Would a town flood like that? <laughs> It was a damn clap. I can't even remember what happens, but I just remember the house gets covered in water, like very, it's like, rapidly, yeah, very so quickly. It's a 
is it just a hurricane and she goes to rescue her dad and her dad refuses to leave the house and they get trapped under the house? Yeah, she hears his mobile phone, so she gr- she crawls in the the yeah. crawl space underneath the house, which is not even like a cellar; it's just like a, a well, it is a crawl space. Like and, uh, people have crawl spaces. Yeah, yeah and then uh, just so happens to find an alligator down there, and he's she's the and alligator's then, mauled a dad or something. Well, the, and the alligator chases them up the house as the water rises, which yeah, is yeah. as ridiculous <laughs> as that sounds. But it's not fun. It's not fun enough. That's what I no, didn't like about it's, it. Yeah. So, Liam, what year are we talking about today? I think we're up to 1996, actually. Um, I don't think so. Isn't it 1997? No, I think we're up to 1997. Yes. <laughs> I haven't got it written we're down. We're going to talk about suburbia. No, we're fucking not. Yeah, so 97. I mean, for 97 for you, what's the, what's the film for 97 for you that you think about? Batman and Robin. Um, really? No. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Uh LA Confidential was one of my favourites from that year, I think. Okay. I'm trying. I'm just having a quick uh, little look through films that came out that year. Well, I say that I always think of um, uh, Mimic at first. Okay. The first Hollywood Del Toro film, isn't it? Yeah. Have you ever seen the director's cut of that? I have, yeah, yeah, yeah. Any good? I love it. I think that film really holds up. It's not perfect, but it, we're talking about silly horror films, and he's got a way of shooting these kind of silly hot like monster films and like going back now knowing what you know about del toro there is a lot of kind of sympathetic sympathetic kind of treatment of the monsters more than you would expect from yeah. a, that kind of film i think it's worth revisiting it has one of the most del toro characters in it and that's the little kid who plays the spoons <laughs> like talks with the spoons <laughs> yes i forgot about him <laughs> I'll tell you one film I loved from that year, and that was The Ice Storm. That was a really good film. Uh, are you onto my Ang Lee pick? Yes. Sorry. I love The Ice Storm. Film. It's brilliant. It's so. No one talks about this film, and it's perfect. And Toby Maguire's in it. And he's yeah. got Superman. Superman? Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else came out that year? Chasing Amy. Oh, was that 97? Yeah, and Princess Mononoke. Well, I was going to say that's my favourite film of the year. Princess Mononoke. Yeah, that is fan. It's just gonna... a fantastic film. It is. is. It's there's three. There's three kind of Miyazaki films that are almost equal for me, and it's Princess Mononoke, Kiki's Delivery Service, and Spirited Away are just for me three yeah. just perfect films that I always go yeah. back and forth about which one's my favourite. But I think Mononoke is. I'm not sure. Kiki's might be my most watched, but. I'd, and Spirited Away is a perfect film, so I don't know. But I love Princess Mononoke. It's my favourite film of the year. And I think Princess Mononoke is mine. Just just some of the imagery and the, the creature yeah. designs in that are just The creature fantastic. designs are wonderful. The action is wonderful, and it, the fact it's all it's all hand-animated. Well, I think they probably yeah. use computers to assist, but just the, the look of it and the, the feel of it just is... Uh, first time I ever watched it, I'll, I'll always remember that it, it didn't feel like anything I'd ever watched before. Because it just felt this... so detailed and real, but it was animation. I, I know that Miramax put distributed that in America, and yeah. apparently Miyazaki or something they sent they sent the film or something like that or a letter along with a knife, and it said no cuts. Oh, was it like a samurai sword or something like that? And it said no cuts. Yeah, it was. Um, I can't remember which one it was. Laputa, maybe. Um, and they fucked around with it so much that. 
it almost uh, damaged their kind of distribution deal. Oh. Really? Um, well, I mean, he's very... Like, like the way Miyazaki makes films and his like thoughts about making filmmaking are very yeah. kind of like, because doesn't he kind of like believe that children should only see one film a year and things <laughs> like that, and and they should yeah. be his films. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wouldn't even let his films be on um, streaming until this year. Then no one believed it would ever happen, and out of nowhere they got this streaming deal. HBO got it, and now it's on Netflix in the in in Europe. But um, he basically thought that films shouldn't be that accessible. And you, they shouldn't they shouldn't just be throw away things that you just put on when you're lounging around they should be like treated like proper kind of artifacts you know and and taken out of their case and put into the film whenever you need to watch them kind of thing well that's just an artist talking though isn't it i mean yeah, didn't he get wasn't he kind of upset with his son over his what is it tales from earth sea film tales from earth properly there's a wonderful documentary on him actually if you want you should watch it um so the name's gonna out of my head but it's worth watching i think no i've seen it but he's a um, fascinating human, uh, has and yeah. apparently he's making a new film, The Man Who Can't Retire. Oh, so retire. he's definitely not retired now. <laughs> yeah. Well, the wind. Although, I mean, The Wind Rises is probably the most perfect film ever for the last ever film on someone. Yeah. So it's a shame if he does make another one, but you know, not not everything has to be poetic. I'm sure if he makes yeah. another film, it would be as wonderful as all his other films. He never made a bad film, so. I'm surprised you haven't spoken about the Fifth Element yet. That's one of your well, favorites. I was—I I would feel like I mentioned it like too many times, but I love the Fifth Element. <laughs> you mentioned it. I absolutely yet. love it. It's—I think it's—I can't believe how much of a failure it was when it came out, and I never felt it was a failure. I always felt like it was a great film, and and it's over the years, it's people have really taken to it and really adopted it now. Well, I just like that. John Paul Gaultier designed all the costumes in it yeah. and stuff like that. So that's why everything looks a bit crazy and a bit, I don't know. And then it's, the biggest it's a film ever. Yeah, yeah. And then the biggest film ever, like, came out that year as well, didn't it? Titanic. Yeah. yeah. Just, like, dominated everything. Dominated. I don't understand why that film of all just kind of captivated everybody and just kind of. No, it's weird, actually. That's true. I never thought about that. I did. I was definitely. I, I went to see it at the cinema when it came out. I think I saw it twice. I. I think I told myself I didn't like it. I think I didn't want to like it because it was so popular. Um, it's not a bad film by any stretch I, of the imagination. I rewatched it a few years ago, and actually, I was like, "Oh, this really works." This like yeah. I can see why everyone lo- f- fell in love with it. It does. You know, it's got everything in it, and in terms of filmmaking, it's it's perfect. The way James Cameron can like bookend that kind of he shows you what the disaster is going to be at the start so you don't worry yeah. about it so you just get involved in the romantic storyline is um it's genius really so it is i i, I know a lot of people like to be dis, like kind of disparaging of it but titanic is pretty perfect as a film like it's crazy though you'd think a guy like that would have made more films but you know his filmography is very small it's like a ter- two yeah. terminators alien true lies Titanic and Avatar and yeah. Piranha 2. Piranha, yeah, and it, yeah. And I don't think he even finished filming that himself, did he? Oh, really? I don't know. Yeah, so, like, it's a very small... Um... Oh, well, and The Abyss as well, obviously. And The Abyss, yeah. But, yeah. you know, for a guy that's been in the, the biz, like, films. nearly 40 years, he hasn't made as many films as you think he would have done. I mean, I don't, isn't he filming all of his Avatars, like, back-to-back, so there's going to be, like, four I... coming out, like... Sure. I d- who Every knows? Year. I just I didn't even like Avatar, so the idea that there's going to be five of them or something is baffling to me. But um, 
I don't know. Sure, James, it, go do what you do. It's weird for a film that made so much money. It has, like, if you go to a Comic-Con, you don't see people dressed up as, like, no. Navi and stuff like that. And It's, it's made it's, no cultural impact at all. Yeah. Like, they opened that massive park in, um, was it Florida in the Disney World, the the Avatar section yeah. and stuff, and they just, no one talks about Avatar. Why is this, when does this exist? A- apparently it's meant to be amazing. The, anim- the animatronics are meant to be fantastic in it, but... Sure, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Love me from an animatronic. I think the last <laughs> animatronic I ever saw was um, a dinosaur thing. Was it called Walking with Dinosaurs? But there's that with Dinosaurs Alive when we were a kid. Maybe it's Dinosaurs Alive I'm thinking of. <laughs> and that's a weird tangent that I won't go into. <laughs> I'd say a couple of more films from this year before we move on is, I think Men in Black is perfect film. Um, I watched that. I somehow ended up watching that twice a few weeks ago, just because it was on telly and it was like on again. And I just sat through it again to. Watch. It's just, it, it's so good. It's brilliant. It's yeah. It's. It, I don't know how it works so well. It, I think it's baffling, really. I don't think they think, know how it works so well because they never got it again. But what's his name? The villain Vincent D'Onofrio. Vincent D'Onofrio. He oh, is God. so good in that film. Yeah. One of the best like performances how, ever. Ever. Like, he looks uncomfortable walking around yeah. in his own skin. It's, he it's incredible. He literally looks like an insect in a human costume. Yeah. And, I don't, and he sounds like it. And I don't understand how he does it with just a physical performance. Like, it's just, it's it's incredible. Give me sugar. Sugar. Yeah, water. Water. <laughs> I love, he's, he's great. He's great in that film. I, it, I, I don't understand how he didn't get all the kind of accolades as well at the I time. Know. But yeah, that that makes it work. And Will Smith is on top of his game. Tommy Lee Jones gets it as well, and he's like he's engaging it and stuff. So, yeah, that film really does work. And um, last one I was going to just mention is Contact. I think is a great film, and I just wanted to mention it because that shot always messes me up. I think we talked about it a few weeks ago when she's running up the stairs and it goes into the mirror. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And. I, I watch it over and over again, and I have no idea how they filmed it. I just I haven't got a clue how they did that shot, and I always think about that. I remember watching it not so long ago, that shot, and then I came to a conclusion of how they did it, my own idea of how they did it, and I've totally forgotten my <laughs> conclusion. But I, I like that film. It's not... It's got very. It's got a lot of similarities with Interstellar, hasn't it, if I remember? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I accept that. I like Contact. I liked it at the time. Oh, I liked it as well. So. That's it's got, the one that's got. Is Jake it only similar because they've both got Matthew McConaughey in it? <laughs> that is true. Is he's a priest though, isn't he? In Contact. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I have to say, um, Interstellar is a film that I didn't like at all, and you managed to keep selling me on it, and now I really like it. You I love keep, it. You keep kind I of like poking it. and. Going back to the Empire Awards that I alluded to earlier, um, I that was the year that he won Best Film for um, Interstellar at the Empire Awards, and he was on the table behind me. And I tried really hard to speak to him, even though I wouldn't know what to say to him, but I spoke to his wife. And I was like, I, was, I had this whole speech, and I said it to her, and she went, thanks, and then just turned around and walked away. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Can you pass this on secret- to yeah, because she's yeah, she's she's his producer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, 
Mr. Nolan. Actually, Mr. Nolan is a good uh, segue into what we're doing this week. So, um, this week we're covering Satoshi Kon's first film, Perfect Blue. So the reason I kind of ankled it with Nolan is because um, uh, Satoshi Kon's films. We'll talk. I guess we'll talk a lot about Satoshi Kon. I was said to Ollie before going into this that I'm a little bit intimidated by covering him because I think he's a bit of a um, luminary, really, in in Japanese animation and animation in and filmmaking, really. But um, there's a direct line you can draw from uh, Satoshi Kon's work to to Christopher Nolan and straight to Inception. Uh, Satoshi Kon's final film, Paprika, is a film about yeah. how uh, there's a machine that lets therapists go into people's dreams, is stolen, and then starts getting used for crimes. Um, and that film and imageries in that film are, are absolutely replicated in Inception to the point that it, Inception is accused and people are very angry about how it's actually a flat ripoff of Paprika. I don't believe that, but it, there's no way it's not influenced by it. And there's And I think... I think they were a little bit underhanded in the fact that they were kind of a bit denial about how they, how it had nothing to do with paprika, but it's very similar. There's even like stuff like when they touch mirrors and they crash and stuff like that. Is exact images and that kind of folding and dreamscape and stuff. And there is also an, a comic book of Ducktales from like the late <laughs> '80s or '90s where they they go in Scrooge McDuck's brain to get the passcode for his uh, for his safe. So it's not like an idea that's never been done before. Do you know what I mean? But, no. Well, but I think he it, did, but they I, did, but both filmmakers did it incredibly well. Yeah, I was just um, I love Inception. I'm not actually shitting on Inception at all. I think it's it's what it for me. It's one of the most perfect films ever made. Um, that hallway fight scene will always for me be something that I watched, and I always have that feeling of just watch. How the hell am I watching this? And how the hell that this is happening on screen? Um, I mean, but that whole me, fight the... scene is is kind of in Paprika as well. But I'm just saying, like, I think the marketing of Inception was very much about how unique it is, and I think the 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 kind of blowback, the fan blowback, was about the fact, no, no, this isn't that unique. You're just doing it really well. Like, there is stuff that did this before. Well, you I don't need to pretend everything's new. The selling point for me for Inception was that I thought it was unique because other films have gone into dreams like The Cell and stuff like that have done it like back in mm-hmm. the 90s. Um, but with Inception, what they did was this different layers of dream state and then that time slowed down and there's that song, you know, the, what yeah. is it? The, and they, a, that's the song they use that is the bam, bam, And that slows down every time to the, the yeah. speed. The, and I thought that was really, that was 
ingenious. Smart but anyway, yeah. we're not talking about that. We're not talking about this um, action, but just. But he also did a comic book called Opus. Did you ever hear about that? Yeah, one? sure. Yeah. And that was about a character who gets sucked into his own comic book. So he's definitely got yeah. like this kind of like. He likes to do reality bending kind yeah, of. He always did. He did that comic book with um, Kashiro Otomo. I'm going to apologize for my pronunciation, but he's the guy who made Akira and Steam Boy. So uh, okay. he he came up as an artist working for him. He did comic books like that, which are about this kind of meta meta manga in a manga kind of stories, and and then he started getting films, and this was his first film, uh, Perfect Blue, which is a film about kind of how that mixing of dreams and kind of dreams, reality, but also kind of fiction blur into into one story. Yeah. Um, before Incredibly we go on seamlessly the, at some points as well. Like absolutely so seamlessly, well yeah, yeah. Before go, I should touch on Satoshi a little bit before going into the film, really, because he's one of the... He is a luminary in kind of Japanese animation, and he unfortunately died when he was 46, 10 years ago, from pancreatic cancer. It was actually... He actually was a big surprise because he hid his illness from the public. I think he was given six months to live, I think. Yeah, yeah. And he just... Um, he just kind of hid away. He actually wrote his own obituary and it was published after he died. Um, and you got a lot of people coming out talking to Ben afterwards how he was so influential. Because it's not about... He did... He's got about... I think it's four films. So he got Perfect Blue. He then did a film called Millennium Actress, which is kind of about the golden age of Japanese film. Uh, Tokyo Godfathers, which is an absolute... Like, for yeah, me, it's is, one of my favourite films. It's incredible. Yeah, it's and you know people always talk about your favorite Christmas film. That is my favorite Christmas film. <laughs> and like screw Die Hard, I, Tokyo. That's going to say not Die Hard. No, <laughs> but that's about three. Where do you stand on that? By the way, I need to ask you that: Is Die Hard a Christmas film? <sighs> it's a film set at Christmas. Yeah, it's not a Christmas film. <laughs> Next, carry on. <laughs> it was released in July. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it's it's on Christmas. Three homeless people are trying to return a baby. It's his most straightforward film, but it's really it's full of heart, um, and it's about identity. All his films are about this kind of about identity and how you how you are perceived and how you how you kind of perceive yourself. Uh, Paranoia Agent was his Twin Peaks, is the best way I can put it, where he then did a TV show about um, one character uh, called Little Slugger who terrorizes the town. And then he finished that off with Paprika, which we talked about the machine that lets like therapists enter gender dreams. So all these films have this mix of kind of um, about like dreamscape and reality and identity and 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 how that builds up. And really, straight away, he kind of because of this film we're doing, Perfect Blue, it, it solidified him as an auteur almost straight away because he took this book and didn't like the original screenplay and started just changing it to the way he suited him. He, he made it very clear that he was, you know, in charge of this this process. Yeah, because I was going to... So how different was the book to the film of this? Do you know? I don't really know. I don't know. I I, I can't imagine, really. I should it, read it. It was really. also adapted into another film in, in 2002, like a live action. I found it... I'm talking about Perfect Blue, sorry. Yeah. And... Uh, and uh, I found it on YouTube, but I didn't really properly watch yeah. it. I might try and watch that then. I would say as well, Con as well. He was um, he also he worked really hard to improve labour conditions in in the anime industry, 
Um, he oh, was like okay. a founding member of the, uh, I think they're called the Japanese Japanese Animation Creators Association, JACA, um, who advocate for like better pay and working conditions for animators because the job of being an animator is so hard. And yes, um, I know. <laughs> he also, yeah, sure. And he encouraged, he basically encouraged his animators to change their viewing habits to not watch animation. So, like, he would do, like, live-action showings of films at his studios. He'd show stuff like Jaws, like we talked about, Wonderful Life, uh, Tokyo Story. He'd get them to try and watch kind of actual classic films and put that into their animation, which... Well, yeah, you you only have to watch this and to see that, like, like people's movements aren't over-exaggerated or, like, over-the-top. It's very kind of either minimalistic. Like, if you... A lot of the animation is either on twos or threes, uh, there is definitely some uh explain that uh, <laughs> all right so twos is when animation it's like 12 frames a second so it's every, every so a normal a normal uh animation second or a normal film second is t- 24 frames a second but to save time or for stylistic reasons you can go down to 12 frames a second or sure. you can go down to nine i mean if you look at spider-man into the spider-verse it's seen like shots in that they completely messed around with that some some characters will be 24 frames a second some people will be 12 some people will be nine even all in the same shot so um, wow but yeah i think there's definitely some rotoscope going on in this as well like oh really there's an amazing um sorry to kind of jump ahead but there's an amazing like a scene where the photographer is like brutally murdered like that is oh that scene but it was so realistic and brutal it, it looked rotoscope like the motion was like perfect so i have a thing that was rotoscope which i've got nothing against that because i've done no. i've used rotoscope so i think it's a great tool a lot of animators yeah, look down the on rotoscope because the they think it's cheating but you know i think it's whatever it, works <laughs> i think it's interesting i think you can you can be we'll go into the plot but i think you can be fooled by this film into thinking why would you make this animated and i think it's yeah. something i i don't know Japanese animation gets shit on a lot, but I loved how adult this was. And it, but once you start getting into the reality blurring stuff, you realise why this has to be an animation film, and it works so well as an animated film. I think I agree. But the one thing I was going to say is like, um, unlike the rest of the world in Japan, like animation is just seen as another tool to make a film. It doesn't matter yeah, if it's live action; yeah. it's just another tool. Whereas in the like in the West, like in America or UK or wherever it's it's seen as like it's either for kids or for geeks it's yeah. it's it's to sell it's to have genre stories or for cute characters or weird yeah. you know it's not it's not for dramas or things like that and whereas i'm actually or, i'm glad you mentioned into the spider-verse actually because i was thinking of into the spider-verse when i was watching this because i was trying to think of an, an american animated film that is as close to a kind of adult story like this and spider-verse was the only one i could really think of that isn't you know it is a kind of childish film but it isn't a complete just kids film well i would say as well just before we move on to the film that um one of his big influences was uh sorry one of the big filmmakers that was influenced by satoshi khan was uh darren aronofsky and you can see that in black swan especially and black swan is kind of basically this film Oh yeah, I got um, this in my notes. He even wrote his he wrote like an obituary for him, didn't he? He wrote a eulogy. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, oh, the eulogy. Sorry, 
But even um, there's a shot in uh, Requiem for a Dream, which is a shot to shot homage from a scene from this film. I believe it's the staircase chase. I think. Yeah, 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 that's fantastic. Like the 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 motion and animation of that is fantastic, and you can yeah. see that in Into the Spider Verse with all the lines, because like Spider Verse is obviously um, CGI, but there's a lot of hand drawn elements, so they like draw like uh, you know movement lines and things like that, just to kind of give it a bit yeah, more of a kinetic yeah, yeah. energy. Which is like that scene, the, the hallway scene, the sorry, the staircase scene, is very different to a lot of the other scenes in the film because it's quite static in a lot of it so like a lot of the backgrounds are quite static or the shots are quite static but that was like really quite kinetic i thought yeah i liked how it opened though with like the power rangers <laughs> i loved that i when it opened i i kind of thought i was i had to check if i was actually watching the film yet or if yeah, it wasn't same. a trailer for something so are you so do, should we should we get into the plot and kind of explain yeah, what it's about? yeah, yeah. so yeah it's about um this character mima who is she is a um a lead singer in a J-pop girl group called um, Sham, C-H-A-M. I think I got that right. And uh, it opens up with her performing at a, it looks like a convention rather than a, than a gig. Well, that's it what I was like... thinking because it, like, it's like a festival or an all day because they, obviously they have yeah. the Power Ranger thing at the beginning, like a stage show. But yeah, they but might it do looks like people things were... different in Japan. I don't know. That's what I was thinking because I was wondering, people were turning up with stuff to sign um and dressed up as them and stuff. And I guess I don't really understand the pot, the kind of idol world in Japan. I know it's a big thing. And I wonder if it was some sort of, um, like they have these, maybe have these idol events that people turn up to try and meet them and things. Well, but yeah, I wonder if it's like, because the J-pop is obviously quite youth orientated. Like mm. maybe they just have like these kind of youth kind of events where they have like stage shows from like TV shows and pop bands yeah. and stuff like that i mean i don't know but it certainly was a way for me to get into it and look at it and go yeah. ah, this is different this isn't just a gig like they're, they're showing her as a different kind of element in this celebrity world kind of thing yeah and then um yeah she's performing uh, her song and you have this really creepy security guy who's like a fake security guy sitting at the front kind of holding his palm out so she's well, I've dancing got, I've, in his palm. Well, I've got that. It's almost like he's already, he's almost like immortalizing her and like as his like yeah. image in his palm of his hand. Like he's kind. Of, that's where he sees her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know I mean? Like his it's toy like, and his like yeah, yeah, yeah little idol and stuff. It's really creepy. Really kind of straight away. It's really weird and really creepy. Well, I mean, like a big thing in this film is like avatars and like how people are. Diff- you know, they have different sides to themselves, and like he obviously yeah. is obsessed with. The avatar of her, not the real version. He doesn't know the real person, does he? He kind of no. just it, sees that version of her, the one that's on stage dancing and singing, and kind of yeah, the way he's immortalized her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta say, I, I probably would have come to this, but I think this film is what ninety seven. It's way before internet culture, and this really does get that toxic fan internet culture down, like well, perfectly. Do you, know, do you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember the Bjork stalker? Kinda, That's and he sent. Really. He, he tried to send a bomb to Bjork, huh. and um, it got intercepted. But it was, you know, it was going to blow, basically blow her up. It was like a a package that would explode. And he created all these um, videos of himself, like you know how he was obsessed with her, and he started like shaving his hair and painting his face and doing all these crazy things. Whoa. And like, even though 
that only came to light after this film came out. It just had a lot yeah. of similarities to it. It was quite, really does. quite bizarre. Yeah, that is actually really, really weird. But he, he, he kills himself in the end. Like, on videotape, he shoots himself. You can actually find oh. it online if you want to watch it. It's quite bleak, but... Uh... Um, I'm okay. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't know about that. I mean, I think... I think it. I think Madonna has talked talked about this film, in the fact okay. that she related to it. I think she used some imagery from this film for a tour or something, as well. So, which is well, I'm guess- incredible. I'm guessing a lot of pop stars or film stars, like female, maybe like see themselves in this character because, especially like probably pop stars or film stars who are younger. And yeah. then they start to, when they start to get older, they're not exactly sure where to go on their career. Yeah. So they kind of go in this highly sexualized kind of yeah. way. So like Britney Spears or Miley Cyrus or whatever, and they kind sure. of. They well, have they have to, you have to break. Like that's what this film she's doing. She quits being an idol to become an actress, but she struggles to kind of break her image as like this perfect idol. So she starts taking these kind of more creepier jobs and more adult jobs and and stuff to try and kind of to try and get her to be seen in a different way by the public, um, which I think is, as you say, a lot of pop stars do do that to try and like break the mold. Really, a lot of actors do it as well, like as well to kind of oh, grow yeah, yeah. up. Um, but well, yeah, like she... Shia LaBeouf, for example. Well, yeah, I was thinking of. Um... Oh, he's gone out of my head now. Who was I thinking of? Uh, Johnny Depp. Yeah. Um, when he when he did a uh, Crybaby and stuff. But yeah, so yeah, so. She's performing. She quits, and they've got this. They've got a scene that I really liked here when it's showing her adjusting to life after being an idol, and she's just like shopping or just like in her room. And well, I loved cutting... all that stuff in her apartment. It was like yeah. it was like a, a good extended sequence of just her, like five minutes just in her apartment. I thought it was like so, the yeah. detail and like the the yeah, richness yeah. in a room and of all the other items. It feels lived in. It's really. The richness really of the it. supermarket, I thought that. Like, the lettuce and and things like that were really stood yeah, yeah. out to me. And uh, it's cutting between that and her performing still, which I really liked, that it straight away it's t- it's not doing one, like, um, it's not doing one uh, timeline. It's immediately just kind of breaking it up and showing different things at different, different times at the same time on, on screen, which kind of sets you up to be kind of ready for what the film goes into. Um, so she's kind of, she's, uh, how do you say? She's kind of feeling just as isolated as an actor and she ends up being shown a website, which is like a blog of her life, which is written. That that made me laugh, like explaining how to use the internet to someone. It's like explaining my dad to my dad, how to use the internet. It's brilliant. (laughs) But I liked it because she's, she's been a pop idol for so long that she's useless. That's what I kind of liked about it. She doesn't know how to use things. (laughs) <laughs> um and look after herself really so she's there going like http <laughs> but yeah but she i finds guess that... like 97 though the internet would not have been really the thing it is now it's not like no i guess it was new i always think of internet as 95 for some reason but i don't know when yeah but 95 to 97 is not that it's a whole two years <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, so she finds a blog, which is her life, and it's written as her, but and it's writing all the details about her life down. So it's someone watching it's her in the supermarket, and 
watching a get off the subway and stuff yeah. like that. And... and this starts this kind of story of her kind of um her mind kind of breaking into the fact that there's this idolized version of her that still exists out there that it's kind of like she's still a pop idol and now her current version of herself where she's still feeling kind of isolated and awful as like an actress and trying to get on yeah i think it's worth noting she's got two agents who work for her yeah Yeah, so there's a male one who's kind of like kind of he's kind of maybe pushing the acting side more so and then there's the female one who wants her to kind of go back to being the pop star being the pop idol again yeah yeah. Is it the male one that gets hit by the kind of um, letter bomb? When yeah, yeah. That's set? the thing that reminded me of the Bjork. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so um, she's she's kind of having no agency in her career and they kind of talk her into doing quite seedy acting jobs. And um, the scene they do, I think, is the one of the most terrifying scenes I've ever watched in a I've film. I've got that on my notes. It's it's. I just put yikes. <laughs> I know. It's absolutely traumatic like not traumatic for no sake though it's it's really well if I describe it she takes this acting job where she plays as a, plays a stripper and the audience basically rapes her yeah and but what the way this scene plays out is that she's clearly uncomfortable doing this acting job and every time the camera yells cut she's almost trapped because they've got to stay in position, which is bizarre. Yeah. And she, she always feels trapped, like, in the middle of this rape. And she she's having trouble seeing it as not, like, not reality. She's having trouble seeing mm-hmm. it as an acting job. Even, like, when the guy leans down and whispers in her ear, like, I'm really sorry or something. And it's, yeah. that's, it makes it worse somehow. <laughs> yeah. I, but, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what that would be like to animate something like that. Like filming it as well would be horrible but animating it, it takes so much longer than it would just yeah like... yeah, yeah. <sighs> i i thought i just thought it was terrifying and and that's so, kind of the that's the point the film really changes at that point so the character in this tv show that she's playing is that the same one you know she has that first line and I'm she's like sure. no i, I, th- I think i assume it's meant to be a carry on of job. that character no i think it's the same tv show isn't oh, okay. it okay and um, the one that the writer's murdered about because he's kind of created yeah. this character for her where he's like sexualized her and then yeah. he ends up murdering the Yeah, the so people writer. start dying who are responsible for her kind of, how you say it, um, her kind of, her image changing and um, yeah. what, the, what they kind of, what the writer um, starts being called me mania sees as kind of... Um, disparaging to the pop idol and so they kill the writer of this series and that's the guy with the screwdriver isn't it that you're on about yeah which has got like the horrific death scene yeah and then there's the um oh no that's not that no, the that horrific death scene that's the photographer oh it so, is the photographer, so the writer yeah. is the guy in the lift and then oh, he gets the his lift. eyes like gouged out or whatever yeah yeah and yeah and um yeah, and then later on... Who else is murdered? Anyone else? Or is it just the two? Well, Fisher killed, and that upset me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but you, 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 you see her dreaming that it's herself that's murdered. Yeah, so that the, point of the film, the yeah. 
So there's that, a photographer in the film that's kind of known to take CD pictures or convince the people in front of his camera to kind of go further than they would. And so, he really reminds me of that guy who photographed Miley Cyrus, who's got a he's got a proper kind of reputation for that oh apparently he's yeah i've, I've heard horrible things about that man. <laughs> yeah we talked about mighty cyrus it works so yeah yeah um yeah that's it because you have the, the the kind of stimulated rape scene that she clearly takes in as actual Did you say trauma. stimulated or simulated simulated i meant to be simulated <laughs> if i said stimulated that's wrong simulated <laughs> rape scene um, yeah, and she really takes that on trauma. At that point, the film kind of splits. She goes back home. Her fish are killed. <laughs> and she starts seeing her pop idol self as a physical being who yeah. it starts to- tormenting her about how her image has been tarnished, how she's ugly, how she's pathetic, like how she's she could have, you know, she could have kept being a pop idol, which was the best thing, but you've taken this seedy path. And, and um at that point you kind of have this weird play where you've got the me mania character this very creepy guy that you've been seeing throughout the whole film this pop idol version of Mima and the actual version of Mima and they all start getting kind of put into one character yeah it all starts blending and like the tv show that she's doing starts blending into the reality as well doesn't it she starts being so, unable to realise when she's filming something in the TV show or when it's actually her life. There's that great scene where she wakes up like twice in a row and one seems to be reality with the other one she's on set and and it blurs into that. So the TV show that she's on, is it revealed that she's meant to be the killer on the TV show? I think and then that's, that's right, kind yeah. of doubling into her dreams where she's seeing herself yeah. murdering these people. She, but the weird thing is, you think you don't you know see, they're filming the TV show, and they say she's got DID. Uh, yeah, but you see, you see her murdering that photographer. Yeah, as the yeah. pizza delivery girl, yeah. whatever. Yeah, she she, she sees it in her in her dreams before she even finds out about the murder. Yeah, which kind of goes. I don't think this is a film that's meant to be like a, a puzzle that's meant to be solved. I don't think it's no. that kind of a film. It's like just meant to be experienced. It's like just yeah, yeah. One person's kind of psychosis, kind of. I was saying the scene when she attacks with the screwdriver and it keeps cutting between him getting killed, the pornographic pictures being taken, and then her waking up and finding the the like the bloody pizza delivery uniform, dreaming about it. And... Yeah, yeah. Is that for, at that point the film's just fucking it's gone off and <laughs> it's quite a fantastic actually. So like even though I just said this film isn't about a puzzle and is meant to be un- unlocked, so I wonder at what point does her because it's revealed that her her one of her agents is the one yeah. that's kind of roomy is kind of becoming her or like trying to live as her. It's like a Correct. it's a black swan kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. She's, she she's she's had a psychotic break when she's believing that she is her, but her is like a good, um, like the pop idol version of her, and not this kind of tarnished idol that she sees. Like yeah, but it's it it's it's not a film you can work out when she's there or not because you see no. the av- the avatar the ideal version of her like flying through the air yeah. or jumping on lampposts and things like that things that you couldn't physically do in a real space or yeah. real world yeah 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 it's impossible to know which parts of this film are really 
happening or not, really. But then um, I guess like later on in the film, the the guy who's obsessed with her doing the the, the website, he actually yeah. does try to rape her, doesn't he? Yeah, that scene is yeah. oh yes. <laughs> God. That's um, I mean, yeah, because he attacks her in the strip club, doesn't he? So it echoes the rape scene from earlier in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, the the vulnerability in that scene was just palpable. It was almost a little too graphic for me, if I'm honest. Well, I mean, Not there's graphic, a lot of nudity too... in this film. <laughs> yeah, there is, yeah. Like... Graphic's the wrong word, but it's very just emotive. Just very, yeah. like, they don't shy away from it. That It's meant to be kind of, it's meant to be kind of traumatising. Um, I mean, when they first show him in the film, you know, like, I didn't know if they were going to do a bit of, like, because he looks, you know, he's got, like, strange eyes, like, his eyes are a bit far apart, yeah. or they look a bit glazed over, and he's... His mouth's a bit mangled and stuff. So I was thinking, are they going to juxtapose this and make him like the Quasimodo, the hero kind of character or whatever? Okay. But no, he's just straight up villain. <laughs> like, do you know what straight I mean? Like, up. Was he, I think he was, because I thought he was writing himself the emails from the pop idol version of Mima. Um, oh, okay. So who, but, is he actually getting emails then? Yeah, I think it's Rumi who's writing to him. Oh, so they're kind of working together almost, but not almost. Not knowingly. Not knowingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I reckon. Yeah, that's what I reckon. Yeah, they they definitely do mention that. I think at around that point in the film, definitely. Yeah. And then, so she then kills him. Like she hits him with a hammer, doesn't she? Whacks him with a hammer. Yeah. And then when she goes back, though, there's it's almost like nothing ever happened there. Yeah. Which again, you might not be sure it did happen or not. That's like yeah, because he's because the body's not there. The body's not there. Everything's like like because they're smashing down bits of scene and stuff like that. And it's all back up perfect. Um, yeah. So Mima's there, not like she's all her clothes are torn and and, and everything like that. But like it's almost more traumatizing to her because she it feels like it she made it up as well. Yeah. And then, so then does her agent take her to her apartment, but it's not really her apartment. It's kind of made to look like her apartment. Oh, right, yeah. That's okay. kind of what I got from it, because she looks yeah. out the window and it's not the same skyline that she normally sees. She sees the train and everything like that. But it's also not her apartment, isn't it? It's her, it's her apartment from when she was a pop idol. Yeah, so, so all it's the old, kind of got the pictures and stuff. The old like posters that. and the fish, the old fish yeah. as well. Are they even... Because the fish don't seem to be moving. They're floating, but they're not... They don't look like they're swimming around like normal fish like they did before. They look like they were static, but posed, kind of. I don't know. Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah. Like, like it was all like, meant to be this, fo- like, kind of a set, almost. Yeah, there's, like, a lot to unravel in this film, I think. Mm, it's... A lot. Um. Yeah, so then you see that her other manager and me mania are dead in the parking lot and that's where rumi chan was waiting for her yeah and then it cuts back and rumi chan puts on like a wig of mima and then just full out attacks her with an ice pick just goes absolutely (laughs) like it's crazy um and then you got this fight which i really loved because you had this it's it's a quite a dark film but then you had this really colourful like uh, pop idol Mima attacking like the really like 
Satura- like, desaturated. Desaturated, yeah. Kind of, yeah. Well, I've got, an, like I was going to say, the film actually starts off quite desaturated, kind of muted tones. And then as as the shit starts to hit the fan and her, she doesn't know what reality is and stuff like that, colour starts to get injected into the film more so and things get more saturated and things like that. But, uh, d- like, so the fight scene, though, doesn't it kind of, it becomes daylight at some point, doesn't it? Yeah. Does it? Yeah, I think so. Of. Yeah, because the car comes toward like because they have the fight outside that shop. Yeah, and then they break the window, and then the agent like falls over and then stabs herself in the stomach, yeah. and then staggers in front of a truck, and then Mima saves her from the. Yeah, she looks truck. at the truck like it's stage lights, doesn't she? Yeah, yeah. And she imagines herself back on stage again. Well, not back on stage, but. I really like that bit in the, when she sees herself in the window before it gets smashed and you got Rumi looking at herself in the mirror. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, that was great. And it's almost like she doesn't know if that's another vision, another person attacking her, or, like, it's just a reflection of what... At that yeah. point, she's completely broken. And it's done without any words. It's just the animation. It comes through really obviously. And then it ends with her, like, in a kind of like a psychiatric yeah. ward, isn't it, where Mima goes to visit her old agent and who still believes most of the time that she's, she's still Mima. Really, yeah. Yeah. And then what's the final line she says? Uh she says no one real, I think. That's it, yeah. Yeah. But she seems like she's kind of successful at that point. The nurses yeah. recognise her from the soap. Um Yeah, that's the whole film. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I just thought it was fantastic, to be honest. Me too. Like, I was blown away by it, actually, I have to say. I, it's one of those films no one ever really tells me to watch. And I'm surprised by it, because it's really good. Really good. Like, I don't know if some of the... Um, because I watched it in native Japanese with subtitles. Because I, I can't watch foreign films with dubs. It just doesn't work for me. I always have to... Even if I have to watch a film twice just so I can kind of read it and then more watch it the second time, yeah. I'll happily do that just because it feels more authentic and more... Yeah. Because I've also got the dubbed version and it just sounded... those voice, The voices just don't work for me, especially if you know... Like, I remember getting the dub of Akira years ago yeah. and I was like, oh, well, Canada is voiced by the guy who voices Leonardo in the Ninja Turtles cartoon, so it just took me out of it straight away, do you know what I mean? So, like, whereas I if I'm, I'm watching the native language, I feel like that is a character, that's a real person I'm watching on screen, whether it's animated or not. Because, because like, language is so intrinsic to the way people act, you know, you, like, you talk with your hands and you move your head at different times of when you're saying things. Yeah, I think when it's dubbed, there's al- there's always a displacement between what people are saying and the animation. That, and I'm also concerned, especially with dubs, like we were speaking earlier, like you don't know what's cut out of it, what they've altered. No. Like, because I think the one version of Akira, because there's several dubs of Akira, and they alter the storyline because of the dialogue. And so I was concerned they might do that with this or... Uh, it's quite a brisk film though isn't it it's only like an hour and 20 minutes it's quite a short quick breezy watch but it packs a lot in it it's very dense it packs a whole lot in it yeah but it's not fast paced either i mean it is it's well paced but it's not like to the point where it's just 
it's not great through scenes it's it's no. well paced and it's yeah it's um i would say if you do have trouble watching subtitles you know i'm not going to i'm not going to have a go at anyone for watching it though. <laughs> No, yeah, no, person. I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, that, I wouldn't say that to anyone. Um, but, uh, but the thing, the reason why I bought it was because I don't know if some of my subtitles had a bit of, it, you know, when they just like, do you remember when we used to watch uh, Shaolin Soccer? Yeah, and it said kick the bowel, kick the bowel, <laughs> or whatever. Like, I didn't know if there was a bit of that in it where it's got some of the words wrong or a bit of the. Like, cause I know we probably watched the same version. I didn't know probably. some of the. I think um, it was a bit incorrect. I think translation is a bit of an art. I think that's the problem. Yeah, it's not easy to translate something because words have multiple meanings and and can be nuanced to it as well. But also, when you when you put in subtitles on, you've got to make sure that the ability to read that line takes the same amount of time as the ability to say it. Yeah. In the language, so you're not so when it's cutting to other people talking, you're not getting messed up by it. So there will always be slight changes in the way things are said in a in a subtitle to fit in with the flow of the film but i don't yeah. know if i think most i think the people who do this are very talented and i think most of the time it if it's a good subtitleist it won't intrinsically change the language of the film and stuff yeah i think you do i have done this before when i've watched them um, because i'm a mentalist i i've watched like most the um studio ghibli films with English audio and English subtitles, just to see what the difference is. And um, do you think it takes away actually. with? Say that again. Do you think it takes away though with like English dubs? Oh, it takes away. Yeah, I just, I just do it. I actually just done it to see what the difference is. And then, oh, okay, got you. And you can, and actually, it's quite funny how the dub and the subtitles are completely different sometimes, even though they're telling the same story, because it's just there's an art to yeah doing all this really. So, have you got any like other thoughts about the film? Um, I was, I was surprised by it, actually. I I didn't really know what I was going to get into with this. I kind of knew, and I kind of know Satoshi Khan. I mean, I've seen the rest of his films, but like I am, um, I didn't know what this was going to be, and I was surprised how it really felt like an adult thriller, like through and through. Yeah, 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 and. Obviously, it feels a lot like Black Swan. I know Darren Aronofsky says that he was influenced by it a little bit, but <laughs> I think more than a little bit, it really is very similar. But I mean, there um, are a lot. There were in the nineties. There was definitely a lot of these female-led kind of uh, thrillers where you know you had single white female and things like that, where you know someone wants to be someone else or want. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there was a lot of those yeah. kind of uh, films around at the time. But it was weird. This this definitely came out like for me in the nineties, when there was the big, I say manga boom, like because manga yeah. was a company in the UK, I think that put yeah. out anime films. I mean, when I was a kid, I thought manga made them. Like yeah. now, I realise they just distributed films manga, like, from just various different. Yeah. And so, like the films that we probably watched, you know, like Akira, Ghost in the Shell, Pat Labor, which I think didn't he work on one of the Pat Labor films? I'm not sure. I actually. believe. Anyway, but yeah, Ghost in the Shell. So yeah, you had all these and yeah, cyberpunky or like uh, Crying Freeman or uh, what was the one Ninja Scroll? Oh yeah, all these kind of films. Then Perfect Blue, I'm pretty sure was also out on manga as well. So it was this weird 
film that didn't fit into the rest of these kind of no like ultra i mean i know it's violent as well it it definitely is violent but it's 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 got a lot more going on in on it than these other films probably it's akira is another good one as well though definitely for sure yeah though i actually think this is a controversial take i think i like steam boy more than akira i was thinking about today and i really love steam boy I need to see the proper version, like going back to the dub thing. I've only ever seen the dub version, and I think the the proper version is longer as well. Yeah. And I think Anna Paquin voices Steam Boy, so you've kind of got this very effeminate voice for Steam Boy, (laughs) which I think probably works for anime films because they look kind of effeminate anyway. Well, you always get a lot of women voicing young men. Yeah, it's true, true. Um, you also do get Patrick Stewart though voicing the grandfather, which is the best <laughs> thing in the world because he's doing it in his like Yorkshire accent. I, I was going to say I think it comes at a time where maybe there's a reason I slept on this film a little bit, or I have like, a lot of people haven't seen it is because it comes it comes at a time when manga is really popular. Manga, the company, um, and uh, this isn't one of those films. It's not like sci-fi. It's not fantasy. It's not. Yeah, that's what I was of... getting at. It just sticks yeah. out like a sore thumb out of that roster. It's not like, like the guy overall or something like that. It's yeah, which I kind of think I thought it was because it. I I put it together with those films that were yeah, coming yeah. out at that time, and I love Ghost in the Shell. It's not saying that this is better, about, but like um, this just. I I didn't expect it to be so adult, and I didn't expect it to feel so prescient for kind of fan culture and and like internet culture i guess now and um that really surprised me about it actually but i mean that just goes to show where we were in the uk and probably america in that time whereas like with animation and stuff like that whereas japan were light years ahead in terms of light years ahead yeah having you know i still don't even think if you put out an animation now like in in the uk or america or whatever it's it's still going to be treated as an animation anim- as an animation like you only have to look at the oscars and see that they still have an animation category it's like no yeah. like it's not a ca- it's not a- animation is not a a genre no 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 it's no. it's just another way of telling a story and yeah. like you could like for example like well, forget which year it was but like toy story 3 or whatever was put up for best film like overall or wally was but it was also in the best animated film category. Why even bother having that animated category if you know it's gonna if it's if it's if it's the only animated film up for best film, it's automatically gonna win best animated did film, they, isn't it? Really? Did they do that because Beauty and the Beast got for best picture? Yeah, I think that's what they did, so it could at least win something. I am. Um, I think I was. I was saying this earlier in, in, but like, um, I don't think you could make this film in American or British animation. Even now, no. I don't think anyone would let you do this as a as a kind of film, um, which is a shame because it absolutely because it's an animation. It actually, I think, works better. Well, I think Western animation is more centered on like squash and stretch and kind of like yeah. more obscure kind of animation. And the, I was going to say the one thing I like about this film is it has references to like those over-the-top mangas and like the power range and stuff but it's in the world they live in so for example it's a poster on the wall or it's a comic book there's a shot where like the the classically big eye drawn kind of cartoon character takes over the whole screen doesn't they and then it it opens up and something it's just like a a 
you know, it's still in a Japanese style of animation, yeah. but a, a very much more realistic looking yeah. character. Um, I say that I'm not yeah, a like, big... Uh, my my I, I wanted to cover a Japanese animation film because I think it's important to watch foreign films. I think it's important to watch different types of films. Um, I'm not a massive person who can talk at length about Japanese animation. I don't know a lot about it. I just know that what I what I watch I like. You know, I yeah, know yeah. what I like and I don't and I like Studio Ghibli films. I like what I've seen of like Japanese animation and I know I like Satoshi Khan already. Um and kind of su- didn't surprise me, but it makes me want to watch more stuff like this does. This is this is animation that you don't get to see, as you say, from Western markets. Um, I mean, you you've kind of got like Persopolis, which is another great one. Yeah, and like the Waltz with Bashir. I was thinking of what's that? Sorry, the Breadwinner. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's a Waltz with Bashir. Have you seen that one? Oh no, I haven't seen that. No. So there's there's definitely like adult animation out there that's not just coming from Japan and stuff, but um, mm. it's just about if people go and watch it or see it or not. Like 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 as I said, like in yeah. the mid '90s, there was that massive boom of. Japanimation when it just kind of like hit big time. I mean, like, it, I I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of anime, <clears throat> but it's like it's like saying I don't. It's so broad. It, I, there's I so agree. many different. Like, I think it's so easy to pigeonhole it into this one kind of style when it's not. There's yeah, hundreds of different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's I it's, I. I always don't like when people do that and they say, you know, I don't like blah, I don't like musicals, or I don't like Japanese animation, I don't like anime. But I like, I'm always curious. I'm like, no, you, there'll be something. There'll be you something only have to look like. back at the cartoons we watched as kids. Like, you know, if you even watch the real Ghostbusters, you can tell it's been animated in Japan. It has oh, right. that quality to it. Like, you know, even like Prince Valiant and Jason the Wheeled Warriors and things yeah. like that, you can really tell. And then you look at the American-made cartoons that came at the same time, like He-Man and stuff, where it's very yeah. kind of static and it uses what's called um, stock animation. So they'll have like a oh, He-Man runs animation loop and they'll just use that and then they'll animate like a little bit to go in between. And then they've got He-Man picks something up and throws it stock animation. That's why you like... But in Japan, you don't. they've got a different ethic over there and it seems to be very much more like... They just don't tend to do that. They kind of they'll make the story as required. Not they won't fit the story to their limitations. But I think again, going back to like the the American style, they probably worked normal hours, whereas I can imagine the Japanese animators <laughs> probably imagine. work insane. Like especially if you work for Miyazaki. Well, I looked at the bu- the budget for this film. It like the equivalent is less than a million dollars at the time. So you, so that's still even today's money is still not a lot of money for an animated no. film. <clears throat> and it's that's it incredible. shows in some sequences like some sequences has very little animation or you know or subtle movements or you know background like a lot of the background characters don't tend to move or if there's like a big group of people it's just kind of static. Okay. But I didn't mind that. I thought it was all yeah. part it it fit the story it was there's a bit when you were talking about I can't remember the term you used. I'm sorry. Um, when you reuse footage in animation, I like um, stock animation. Stock animation. Yeah. There's a bit in this where it's the after the Pete's delivery <laughs> murder, where she wakes up in bed, then wakes up again, and I thought that I don't know if they used the exact same shot, 
but it, I felt like to me they were using kind of tricks from animation to to tell the story a bit better. Oh yeah, you like you it's would, meant yeah, to be yeah. this kind of retelling. It's meant to feel like a retelling, and I wondered if no, I just think used it is. Them. I agree. No, I think that's what they're doing with that. Um, but you know, you you do because animation is just so time consuming. Like you know, it's so easy to fall in the trap of just doing loops and things like that. Yeah. But you kind of loop. Like I have to do it because I'm a one man person who makes sure. has to make a four minute music video in a in a space <laughs> of a month and it kills you. But if you've got the There's time limitations. and the resources, you can create something a bit more like so. But like as I was saying. So you have scenes in this which are quite static, but then you'll have scenes of just where it's on twos or threes, but then you'll have like the stair the stair chase uh stair chase staircase chase and the fight scene and stuff which are really kinetic and there's lots of movement and stuff yeah. going on. But I think each moment work each style works for that particular moment in time for the film. Mm. It's about directing animation as well. It's it's like unlike film where you might just be setting up scenes constantly. I, I can't imagine directing an animated film because you have to choose about those kind of options. Like how is this going to look from every single point of it and, and invent it from the ground up really. But you've got to think as well, if every, if every character in the animated film in the background is moving, you might lose that focus that on focus. the main character. Yeah. And if you have the background that's a bit more opaque, a bit and less less going on in it, you're going to focus on the storyline and what's being told to you as opposed to like... Yeah. It's also like knowing who's talking as well, I think, sometimes. Yeah, um, definitely. In, in the same way, because I think it can be confusing with animation sometimes when it's not totally clear. Like when you haven't settled into knowing the voices, maybe that's what I mean. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay, you're on, you're on letterbox. What are you going to give it out of five? Uh, mine's at 4.5, probably. Oh, mine's know. a five banger on this one. F- five banger, yeah. yeah. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was, uh, yeah, really is. And I, abs- I know it's difficult to find anyone listening to this, um, but it's absolutely worth seeking out. It really is. And I think it will surprise you, even if you're one of these people who don't watch a lot of animation or maybe don't watch a lot of Japanese animation, I think this will surprise you how much it works and how much yeah. it's... It has a has a different feel to it, maybe that you're used to. Hundred uh, percent. So, I'm glad we watched that, man. And as I, I was saying, like, I'd, I'd like to hear your thoughts and animation side of it and things. So, like, um, it's it's nice to try and do. I think one an- animated film every every miniseries we've got because it'd be nice to kind of explore what was happening in that decade with animation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um. With the, I think this was kind of a good pick because of how you said about the kind of that you know the manga distribution company that was a big part of for me in the nineties really about film. So oh yeah, like I'm pretty sure like I'm trying to think of what I was going to say now. It was all, they almost released them like it was a magazine like they would release yeah, yeah. A, a new film every month or whatever and you picked it up like you'd pick up an issue of a magazine. And it yeah. was so like you know, those magazines really, have like a toy on the front. Like yeah, that. but it'd be like a it'd be a VHS, and it'd be yeah. like it'd have two episodes of like the Giver, or it would have a a feet film on it, or and it each yeah, one had Neo, like Neo Evangelist, or really long that. animated uh, a long uh, uh, trailers, Evangelist. which I can recite in my head. With yes, the, with the really like 
awkward, weird voiceovers and stuff like that, trying to make it seem super cool and violent and edgy. And it had like metal yeah, yeah, riff. Yeah. Like for some reason, they felt like. Like, have you ever seen the the Japanese version of the Street Fighter Two movie? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so much better than the American one. Like the American one just puts metal music and stuff, which, granted, it was good because it got me into chord and stuff like that when I was a kid. <laughs> but it it shouldn't be in that film. Like, why is no. it full of like? Whereas yeah. the actual film has got more traditional Japanese music in it, stuff like that, which works a lot better <laughs> than Silver yeah. Chair or Alice in Chains. <laughs> like, <laughs> kind of kind of suits the setting a little better, doesn't it? Weirdly, I'm not sure how. Like. But it's where there is, there's definitely good stuff out there, and we'll keep checking back and, and seeing stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. now and again, I love I love when a film surprises me like that. Um, if you haven't seen it, your name absolutely floored me. That I I, I, I um, keep meaning to watch that one. I really would recommend it. it, it I couldn't. I don't want to say anything, but the when that film turns, um, I I found myself absolutely captivated by it, and the stuff like that works in animation so much differently than you can do it in other mediums and I'm really glad that I mean you got people are still making animated films that are trying to do something different. Anyway, should we get onto a box office game? Oh go on then. So I uh, this was kind of I have to admit to this. I was gonna admit to this at the start and I forgot. Kinda controversial putting this in nineteen ninety seven. Um it gets released it got released at a festival in like September 1997 I think it was but it doesn't actually get it gets then a really slow release until February 1998 when it actually gets a general release in what, Japan Perfect Blue? Yeah I think, uh, that's, I think that's valid I think it's fine I think the first public screening is is technically its, it's release date I agree that's the way so, I took it but I can I think it wouldn't make it eligible for us well it wouldn't be Oscars anyway yeah. but like awards might be different right. whatever but it doesn't get released in england until 1999 oh, anyway one thing i was going to ask so. is uh before you go on to your little uh quiz why is it called perfect blue uh, did i miss something <laughs> really good question <laughs> really good question i didn't even think of that it's the name of the book as well isn't it um, yeah i don't know i don't know why it's called perfect blue because i was trying to find out more information on the book yeah and the the live action version the live action version looks incredibly cheap if you find it Sure. Um, but I couldn't find much information about the uh, the guy who wrote the original book, other than he kind of he wrote. Let me have a look. He wrote. He wrote like uh, fan guides and novels, and he wrote a book called Ultraman Visits the Grave, which is about a young boy who kind of encounters Ultraman. Oh. But yeah, couldn't find much information about the writer or anything. Well, I've got an answer here from Satoshi Khan. Uh, so someone asks him what's the significance of the title Perfect Blue and uh, he says that um, that's a frequently asked question and at the same time one I find very difficult to answer to be honest (laughs) I used it because it was the title of the original novel (laughs) Um, I presume the words had some significance but as I changed the story um, and probably the subject as well I guess the meaning was lost in it so I can only guess that because I didn't read the novel I simply read through the rough plot which was described as close to the novel in the project plan delivered to me we did discuss changing the title but i liked it it sounded significant and mysterious so we kept it well i mean like when i was scrubbing through the live action one and if that's more like the book i can see where he used animation to his benefit 
in that yeah. film just to kind of make it bigger and well, not bigger but definitely like you know a bit more broader and bolder and but anyway i can't remember if we said this but he because he took he saw the screenplay and he was really unhappy with it so he basically rewrote it um, okay to suit him to suit his kind of whims it was a re- and i think he he brought on um uh sad saduki murai who he he's i think he wrote steam boy he might have had something to do with kira as well so he brought on this kind of group to kind of him to go through this rough screenplay that he didn't like and i think the fact that for his first film satoshi khan took a screenplay and just completely twisted it to his wills really then set him forth for his career as like this guy's got a vision and this guy you know can do basically what he likes and that's kind of his career was he did what he liked really okay um anyway yeah biggest weekends so we'll do biggest weekend again start number 10 this is july the 11th 1997 it opens to 30 million and it's a sci-fi comedy i guess action uh july the 11th yeah um, the poster it... has them both introduced as misters, the double header. Misters? Yeah, which is really weird. Oh, is it? Is it Men in Black? Yeah, it is Men in Black. <laughs> the poster just says Mr. Jones, Mr. Smith. Above <laughs> their <type> names. <laughs> the two most generic surnames. Yeah, two most generic surnames. And I just realised Tommy Lee Jones gets top billing in that, which I was thought was. Yeah, he would have done it. I mean, that would have been like. Will Smith's second film, or no, third. He did. He would have done the the Legend of Bagger Vance or whatever. Bad Boys and Independence Day. Was Bagger so, Vance before Men in Black? I believe so. Yeah. Huh. I didn't think that. Um. Yeah, Men in Black. We all talked about it. It's great. Uh, March twenty first, nineteen ninety seven. Uh, Thirty one million opening weekend. It is. Uh, a comedy and it's a reunion of director and actor it's a comedy yeah <clears throat> anything else to go by uh yeah it's a very big comedy star who's returning to the director who made him oh is it liar liar it is shadiak 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 one thing we didn't we we kind of talked about one of his films last week didn't we or one of the other weeks and we never kind of got into like what happened to tom shad yet because it's quite sad yeah he had that accident and then kind of he got kind of gave bike didn't he yeah yeah, he gave up filmmaking well kind of gave up filmmaking but then gave up all of his possessions and yeah but i think he was going that way beforehand because didn't he try and make evan almighty like a an eco-friendly production or something yeah, the look into the production of Everyone Almighty. It's insane. It's like the first carbon neutral or green film to be made. So everything had to offset. So everything they had to build, they had to plant trees and stuff like that. Um, which and it made the budget the most expensive comedy ever made. <laughs> and uh, he was obsessed with selling it as like a kind of serious eco message when the world just saw it as a silly sequel to Bruce Almighty. <laughs> I wonder if they ever tried to get Jim Carrey for that one. They probably tried, but he he kind of doesn't do sequels, does he? That's his big thing. 
And then we ended True. up doing Dumb and Dumber 2, but... And Ace Ventura 2. Yeah, that was always the kind of... The, the exception that makes the rule, I think, that was. Probably because it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so number eight is a horror sequel. Comes out December 12th, 1997. Which is weird release for a horror film. Um, 32 million. Scream 2? It is Scream 2. Because that came out quite quickly quick after the first that comes one. out, yeah. Yeah. This, uh, this is... I'll do this one last. So I skip to number six, which is um, December 26th, opening weekend. So yeah, this makes 35 on its opening weekend in December. It ends up growing to be the biggest film of all time. <laughs> I wonder what film this is. It's going to be Titanic. <laughs> Um, this one is interesting. January 31st, 1997. 35 million. 20th Century Fox. It is a... Um, how do you say it? It's an old picture they're just re-showing. An old film they're re-showing? Yeah. Oh, I think I know. I think you are. I won't say anything else. No, because that's... The, yeah, 2000... No, 1997 is the year they re-released the Star Wars films. Yes, it is. So I'm guessing it's the first one. Yeah, New Hope, yeah. New Hope. That's insane. Fifth opening biggest weekend of that year was just so New what Hope. What did you get? 35 million opened to on that weekend. And of course, that was all year they just kept on releasing the Star Wars films, didn't they? I think me and you went to order them, if I remember. Yeah, we did. I've still got all the stubs. <laughs> like, I got, like, I proper got motion sickness watching um, the speeder bike chase in um, Return of the Jedi. I remember that really working for me on the big screen. I don't remember much about watching them on, on the big screen at all. Well, big is the operative word. We watched them at the Odin in Sutton Coalfield where the screens aren't particularly that big. <laughs> I think well, my TV in my than... living room is bigger than one of the screens there. Well, it is now, but my old CRT <laughs> when I was living at my parents' house as a kid, I think might have been smaller. <laughs> might have. But that well, they were the special editions then, weren't they? Yeah. So that was the first kind of step into it. That... Yeah, 100%. And that was when everyone got to see Jabba the Hutt in and oh, that Jabba first. looks. <laughs> <laughs> Even in the version they've released now, he still looks. They've changed the the model, but it still looks terrible. It like looks it's, awful. It's so dark. It's so yeah. like saturated and like the the one before just looked like this horrible lump. Like I know yeah. he's meant to look like a lump, but at least he's looked like not... a realistic lump. You know when you see Jabba Puppet later on, the Jabba Puppet has so much nuance to the to the puppetry. Like the eyes are slightly misaligned, and yeah, there's well, so much handcrafted. To him and and I'm, I yeah. know the CGI models handcrafted, but I'm sure they probably went, "Oh, let's align that eye so it's perfect." Yeah, like, it doesn't look. Doesn't I remember right. watching the making of um, Attack of the Clones and how they tried to make the Yoda in that look like the Yoda in like. But like you can't replicate the the physical jaggle of a puppet's ears as, as you move move it along, and it just yeah. happens. Its ears happen to just bounce along because it's a rubber puppet. When you add I, that into I, CGI, it's not going to work. 
I hate the CGI Yoda more than any other character in those yeah. films. It's just it doesn't feel like Yoda. It doesn't look like Yoda. He's a dick. I don't know why anyone likes Yoda. <laughs> like, I prefer the shitty puppet one from Phantom Menace before they changed it. Yeah, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. And I really it. like them. I'm so glad they had a puppet in Last Jedi. I was yeah. so happy that he was a puppet. I'm glad he wasn't spinning around and crawling in shoots and. Oh man, you have to watch the making of that. It's called The Director and the Jedi or something like that, and it's on the disc. And just watching them shoot that film is is just wonderful. Just watching them like watching Mark Hamill with Frank Oz underneath him with the puppet <laughs> stuff. And it gave me proper feels of like how what what I love about film. And anyway. <laughs> My um, I was I can't remember what this was on, but uh the fact that um ghost yoda comes and sit, sits on a log in last jedi is the fact that it's firmly established that ghosts that force ghosts like to sit on logs That's what <laughs> <they do. laughs> anyway back to this july 25th 1997 opens to 37 million it's by sony um it's a it's a proper single-headed single header kind of film like one lead huge huge star um, and it's directed by a, like a European kind of action director. Is it The Fifth Element? No, 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 no. no. That made no money. Did it not? Yeah, The Fifth Element was a bomb. The to be fair, that... me and you saw it on Pound Day when cinemas are a pound. So <laughs> it probably didn't remember make this. <laughs> when did it come out? Sorry, June or July? This one, July. And it's a... A European filmmaker. Yeah, it's a European filmmaker. Big action filmmaker. It's got a huge star as the lead. Just his name over the poster. Um, Connected to Star Wars. Connected to Star Wars. Oh, is it Harrison Ford? It is. Playing... Uh... Playing... Conair. No, not Conair. The Air Force One. Air Force One, yeah. Which is actually all right. It kind of holds up if you watch it. The director's Wolfgang Peterson. That's right. Ah, okay. That's two people we've talked about today that we're going to direct like a Batman Superman film. So yeah, George Miller is going to do Justice League. And I don't know if you've seen his leaked photos of his costume and stuff. They don't look that great. (laughs) Yeah, but I, uh, the fact that he doesn't make Justice League and then goes on to make Fury Road makes me really wish to know what his Justice League would have been. Well, there, there's apparently documentaries being made about it, and I just hope it looks at least looks better than the uh, Superman Returns one, yeah. that like garbage. But, uh, I, I've trouble watching documentaries about films that weren't made. I think they're rarely engaging. I was going to say not. Doomed was quite good, but that film's actually mm. made, but it never came. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Wolfgang Peterson was meant to do Bat- the original Batman v Superman, wasn't he? Was he? I that was yeah, Michael where G. he's going to be like Josh Hartnett or Jude Law, someone like that was going to be. In it. I think even Christian Bale was the front runner for Batman in that one, so he was like on the studio's radar for a while for Batman. Ah, I didn't know that at all. God, everyone wants to make a Batman film. No one else. Anyway, number one film of the year, biggest weekend, opens to seventy-two million. Universal Picture. It is a sequel to a huge film like groundbreaking film and one of the the only sequel 
that this director's ever done, I think. The Lost World. <laughs> Hang on. <laughs> Which is uh, not. Yeah, is that his only sequel? Uh, no, he's done all the Indiana Jones ones. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, my <laughs> bad. Yeah. I was just trying to think when I was thinking about him then, and I just immediately thought, he doesn't do sequels, but yeah, okay, the Indiana Jones films. And what can you say about Lost World? It's kind of boring. It has got some good action sequences, though. Like the act- the dra- the T Rex scene is pretty good in that film, I think. Mm. But like the character of like I understand that Ian Malcolm would have gone through a lot in Jurassic Park and would have it may have changed him a little bit, but he it was almost like Jeff Goldblum was completely playing a completely different person. Yeah. Yeah, it's like who is this person? Like, who is he? Like, his character, Ian Malcolm, should never be involved in anything again about Jurassic Park. Well, tough titty, he is. <laughs> I know. I don't and... understand why these three characters are going to come back again to fight dinosaurs or whatever they're going to do. Like, is it like the Avengers Assemble? <laughs> Jurassic Park team assemble. <laughs> Assemble. As long as William H. Macy comes and joins the team, then I'm on. I was going to say, is Vince Vaughn going to turn up? (laughs) Yeah, with his camera. (laughs) I love that this era of Vince Vaughn, they were trying to make him into like an action star. I don't know what I am. (laughs) (laughs) But now he's become like a dramatic actor again. I've heard that, yeah. I've heard that. I did watch him on Curb this season. Because he's he's in the new film with Mel Gibson called Something Pavement. Oh, shit, what's it called? Uh, oh, that sounds like two nice people that have teamed up together. I don't know anything about Vince Vaughn. <laughs> he might be a very nice person. I'm trying to think. I just need to know what the name of that stomped on it concrete. Smashed against concrete or something. That's isn't it? that's it. Something like that. Um, but he's worked a lot with that director. I think he's done a few films with him. Uh, where is it? Dragged across concrete. Dragged across concrete. Okay. And that guy has directed. Brawl, Brawl in Cell Block 99, which has also got um, Vince Vaughn in it. And he directed Bone Tomahawk, which was actually pretty good. Okay. So if you haven't seen Bone Tomahawk, check that one I out. I haven't. It's got... Um, uh, it's Kurt Russell, and it's a Western, but it's got like cannibals and stuff in it, so it's well worth a watch. Do you remember we went... Did you come to see the remake of Psycho with me? No, the Gus Van Sant one, no. Yeah. Because you know, like how Vince Vaughn plays, um, oh, what's his face? His name? I can't remember the character's name now. Norman Bates. Norman it. Bates. Um, which at the time was really weird because it was Vince Vaughn playing Norman Bates. And I wonder if you go back and watch it now, it's even weirder. Like that Vince Vaughn, like Wedding Crashers, Vince Vaughn is playing Norman <laughs> Bates in this weird remake of Psycho. Is he doing his? He's fast talking. Yeah, because yeah. like that's what he's known for, and like Norman Bates is known for like not really saying much. All I remember there's a scene where he jacks off behind a wall, like staring through like a peephole. So I can <laughs> only because I haven't seen that film. Don't, Owen Wilson should play the mom, the corpse of the mom. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> I can't do Owen Wilson. Wow. Anyway, I guess that's the end. <laughs> Was Batman and Robin not one of the highest grossing weekends? 
Oh, did I skip? I could have got a skip. I, I assume that would have been one of the highest, even though it flopped. I imagine it definitely is one of the highest. I think I, I think I messed up. I'm sure we'll end up talking about that when we get to Batman and Robin. No, yeah. Batman Forever. Uh... I'm interested in watching Batman and Robin again, actually. Well, I'm going to watch it because I think it goes hand in hand with Forever. Yeah. Together, so I'll watch Forever and Robin together and <laughs> see what's going on. Yeah, Batman and Robin was the third. I skipped Batman and Robin by accident. And uh, Men in Black was a second because I accidentally did it as the tenth. But <laughs> it doesn't matter. That some errors were made. But, um, oh well, I you've amended prepared. for it, so it's okay. I amended for it. I apologise. So what we're talking about next week? I can't remember what week's next week. Nineteen ninety-eight. We're doing. Oh, we're doing um, the last days of disco. Okay, I have. I don't really know anything about this film at Good. all. That's a good way to go into films. <laughs> it's true. Uh, it's directed by um, a kind of a luminary, Wilt Stillman. Okay. Uh, a wit, I think you pronounce his name, sorry. Um, who is an uh, American writer-director. He did Metro- Me- Metropolitan um, and Barcelona. He, then he did, like, Last Days of Disco in 1998, and then he didn't make a film again until D- Damsels, in D- Damsels in Distress in 2011. Okay. Um, and uh, Last Days of Disco is one of those films that's been really reevaluated and talked about, and recently got its Criterion Collection release. So, so who's it? Who's in that? That's Chloe. I can I can't never pronounce her name. Seven Seventy. Oh, the she's in a lot of the um, Larry Clark and. Uh, yes. Who's the, yeah. who's the guy did Gummo? Uh, I can't remember his name, but yeah. It is uh, oh Harmony Corinne. That's it. Yeah, and she's and, most uh, famously for for giving Vincent D'Onofrio, Vincent Gallo, sorry, a blowjob in is it Brown Bunny? Is it Brown Bunny? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 So we'll talk about Brown Bunny next week. <laughs> and uh, also, Kate Beckinsale is the other lead of the film. Uh, okay. It's that uh, probably her first maybe i don't know i think um, she was in shopping which was by the guy who did the resident evil movies uh ws yeah and w. she Anderson. i think at that point as well she may have done uh something fish go fit no shooting like fish shooting fish that's the one yeah she'd done emma as well by that point and she'd done much ado about nothing as well. She seems to have gone the route of like uh, Mila Jovovich, like these kind of like low, not low budget. That's not fair, but like no I know action mean, film, though. like female led action films that where they're wearing like PVC like cat suits and fight. We well, just monsters. mean Underworld, don't you? She did well, yeah, a lot of but Underworld no, she, films. She did, she did like uh, what's the other one with Hugh Jackman? Uh, Van oh, Helsing. Van Helsing. I forgot that film existed. <laughs> That's hilarious, that film. I've only seen That's, it once. Yeah. But for some reason, I can remember everything that happens in that film. It's like, <laughs> it's just burnt in my mind. <laughs> I don't remember a thing from it at all. <laughs> at all. I just remember, I remember her head in the clouds at the end. As she's like ascending to heaven. It's like her big head in the clouds. And she's been reunited with her brother who she's like seeking the whole of that film. That film like reeks of a film that was just every day they rewrote the script. So it was like it was never consistent with itself. It was just bonkers. 
oh, the fact that that film exists and Hugh Jackman's in it is just amazing. Dark Universe. It wasn't Dark Universe, was it? All right, with that said, uh, I guess it's time to wrap it up now. Uh, don't forget, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Adjust Your Track with a, a YR, not a your. Uh, we're also on YouTube now, so you can check us out there. We're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, give us a, a rate, review, and subscribe. We really appreciate it. And remember, the picture's bad. Always adjust your tracking. <laughs>